0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a beautiful Wednesday morning. <laughs> um, uh, my name is Alex Silva. I am the program manager over at Countywide FSB Administration. Um, and I wanted to give you a, a few updates, uh, some information, what's coming. I, I've, I've got 15 minutes, and I'm sure I'm not going to be able to answer all of your questions in 15 minutes but I wanted to to let you know that our administration is going to hold a adult FSP administration uh, providers meeting uh, scheduled for October 28th. We'll be sending out a save the date by the end of this week with a uh, draft agenda. The hot ticket item to that agenda is obviously FSP transformation. And I'm sure many of you, if not all of you will have questions related to FSB transformation, and we'll have Lisa Wong, our senior deputy director, uh, being able to triage many of those questions and, and uh, provide more information regarding what's to come. Um, again, you know, the, since the pandemic, we've had a lot of, you know, you know, issues and revamping and restructuring, and we're still in the midst of all that. So uh, I'll do my best to answer any related questions that you may have at this point. Uh, I do wanna start off with one that I believe uh, Latina uh, uh, tried to um, uh, receive at the first session of this training and that was the AOT uh, one to 10 staffing ratio. So why don't we just start there and answer that question and then uh, if there's any other questions with the time remaining, I'm more than happy to, to try to answer them. So right now, and I've spoken to Lisa Wong about this issue Right now, I, I just want to make sure that people are aware that the impetus for, for this is that we wanted to ensure that our AOT program uh, and those clients uh, are properly served and, and seen in a timely fashion. Right now, there was a, a capacity issue where they had created a waiting list, and we wanted to make sure those, those individuals were not sitting in that waiting list for a long time. Uh, and there were approximately maybe 11 or 12. All of them were voluntary, not petitioned to the court. Um, and I believe, Monique, correct me if I'm wrong, a majority were actually TAY-age. Correct. Yeah, because age So um, we're wanting to make sure that those individuals are being seen and we're using our FSP adult program. Uh, as you know, um, forensic, AOT, you know, when we look at homeless FSP and various specialized programs that we currently have, they really also fall within our focal population under the general F adult FSP program. Uh, so the services are are not are the same. What's different is the population, and and for example, obviously AOT with certain requirements because there there's mandated to the court and certain protocols. Um, so going back to the one to ten, the one to ten was established for those that are providing and have a full caseload of AOT clients. So we don't anticipate to receive, AOT is not going anywhere. AOT and some of these specialized programs will be integrated to our regular adult FSP program. So in regards to that, we were leaving it up to the actual uh, uh, clinician or case manager level to make the decision. Some of Some individuals are are under that staffing ratio for for FSP, which is one to 15. If you look at your service exhibit, you know, if if within the FSP and acuity level, you can are actually able to see someone who's mild to moderate and have a caseload of one to 35. For those that are moderate to more severe, be one to 15. So again, these are averages that we had come up with and being able to to be able to provide services at that proper level. You know, so we're not looking at everybody's caseload right now, but I think it's up to the agency to realize that we ha- that they do have a slot open, that it is an AOT client, and for them to make the decision that they have, this is someone that may need a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, services not services but maybe protocols and work that needs to be done for this particular client because they're an AOT client. So again, the one to ten ratio that we're looking to. Um, uh, really implement across the board really won't happen until July 1st of 20, 2000, 2021, and that would be across the board for all FSB programs. That would not start right now. Um, and I'm I, again, I'm I'm trying to give you as much information on this as possible. Uh, again, if there's any specific nuances or things that we st- we still have a lot that to, to work out, but right now that is what we've been. This is our understanding and the direction that we've been given by upper management the, at the department. But at this point, I know I spoke too much and if there's any questions related to what I said or if anybody has uh, any other questions at this point that I can answer. But we do
1: have a question from Milana um, and she's asking how, how many AOT referrals should agencies expect to receive?
0: That's a great question, not many. <laughs> if you look at it, okay, look at this way. There's 12 on the waiting list. Of those 12, and again, this is off the top of my head, I know Monique knows exactly where all these were. Of those 12, they were spread out between, I think, four to five different service areas. One, two, and, and, and you know I think there's one or two, maybe service area one, three, five, seven, and eight. So they were spread across the board. So to be honest with you, it's not like AOT is ending today. Again, it's not, we're not taking anything away. They're not going anywhere. Their administration's not going anywhere. They're going to be there and to, to provide support as, as well as their ongoing duties. But the thing is that we're integrating it. What we're doing is increasing the capacity and the pool eventually come July. Uh, so there will be more of a, you know. if we're saying like, for example, a specific specialized program like IMHT has 300 slots, but now we're integrating them to the regular adult general FSP slot, that would be more like, over 10,000 slots, that's a good thing, right? Same thing with AOT, same thing with homeless FSP. So uh, I think it just, it, it creates more capacity across the board um, that I know I go down different tangents and I, it's because I, I need my second cup of coffee. Did I answer the question? How many are you expected to have? I—I I, You may not get any at all. Uh, AOT will continue to once they have, uh, slots available that will continue using their own slots at this point. So we're only looking at those that may be, uh, you know, if they're at capacity and there may be a few, again, there was only 12 and spread out. So again, you know, I, I can't to be honest with you. You might not be getting any of uh, any of them. So, but again, if you're going through the, the training, this training, and, you know, if there, we were to get, a client that is an AOT client referred to your service area, that provider site, and, and you, you know, you, you've been trained and, and you're able to, based on your caseload saying, you know, I, I think I can take them on. That's what we want. We want to make sure that people are being properly served. And again, this population is someone that, again, it falls under a, a focal population under adult FSP. So again, the answer to the question, not many, if at all.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Alex. And it looks like Alana got us warmed up because we have a few more questions trickling in. Here it says, even if you send them out to certain specific areas, isn't it true that some places don't have FSP? So one facility may see more than a fair share of AOT referrals. Uh,
0: I'm not sure if I understand that question. What, what, uh, where is that from?
1: It's from... I think this person didn't write their full first name out, but um, I can request them to unmute themselves. Um, but in in the meantime, the, the next question from Keisha is, uh, what is the 10 to 1 ratio?
0: Okay, I'm sorry. The, so uh, just that I'm trying to understand the first
1: question. Yeah. Let me see if that- participant can clarify the
0: question i'm not sure because i mean i mean right now i think we have fsp teams across the county in every single service area so um, i'm not, not understanding the question so what is the 10 to 1 ratio well, that's a great question if you don't know what we're referring to is that for AOT, there is a one fit clinician to 10 aot clients that's the ratio that we're talking to about So for regular FSP, for those that have a more acuity, higher acuity level, we're looking at that one clinician uh, taking on uh, up to 15 clients. That would be the 1 to 15 ratio. So some of our specialized programs kind of, you know, uh, have different ratios. But for the most part, uh, you know, this one specifically, I would say, has been dealing with uh, having a a lower ratio. So it would be 1 to 10 because they tend to have a lot of – Obviously, what you guys have learned today and through the last the past week regarding AOT and the protocols and requirements, there there's a certain amount of uh, you know of work that needs to be done, the report writing, outcomes, and so forth that for for a client in AOT. But to tell you the truth, any FSP provider within that, a client coming in and that's in that same situation we would be doing the same thing. We would need to advocate. We would need to be going and ensuring that they go to their court date and and doing the same thing. So we want to make sure that people are aware that we want to um, uh, provide across the board, uh, that those the same appropriate level of service across the board. So there's going to be this, this alone, AOT is just the beginning. I think there's going to be a lot more other trainings that we want to launch uh, prior to July 1st uh, for providers to be prepared and, Uh, well-versed regarding that population, Um, and that's it, hopefully I answered that question.
2: Alex, and if I can add to that, um, with everything that Alex said about the 10 to 1, in AOT specifically, that uh, ratio is a statute, part of our statute, um, which is the added piece to why we have such a low um, ratio.
0: Thank you. Absolutely. And I believe that since, again, we're, we're across the board that that wouldn't be an issue starting July 1st, because across the board, all FSP providers will have a, that staff ratio. And again, I, I think it's important to realize that, you know, we have, we have a lot of things to consider. I know Latina will probably be bringing this to a, a AOT committee uh, to present the, the, you know, the current situation. And again, I don't foresee them uh, disagreeing Um what we're doing because we really one ensuring is that we these individuals and our clients are being seen in a, in a, in a timely manner.
2: Um, that, that previous question that we weren't too sure about I think it actually pertains more to AOT from the clarification typically in AOT's history we do have some service areas that have very limited slots which is why we're typically backed up in them but with being able to utilize all FSPs, when that comes around, that will open the door to not really having that issue that we haven't encountered over the last several years. So the individual who was asking a question, she referenced service area one, which is correct. We basically only have like 10 slots as an AOT program, but with this expansion, it will open the door for us to be able to take in more cases and not have people waiting on a wait list trying to get into that one service area. Mm
1: Okay, great. Thanks so much, Monique, for clarifying Nancy's question. Um, I think Nancy and Linda are are, are trying to clarify things a little bit more too in the chat. Um, Now we do have, let me see, it's 9.45. So, Alex, I I want to be sensitive to your time. There are some additional questions here, so we can um, look at them really quickly, or we can note them for the the provider meeting on the 28th.
0: I'm here. I, I can I can definitely stay on for a few more minutes. Okay, Monica,
2: is, is that that? I can answer myself that's an AOT question. Okay. we can answer that a little bit later. Okay, perfect. So and then I think
1: there was one question that came through um, privately was just around um alex do you do we know what time the the provider meeting on the 28th will be i know you mentioned sending out the save the date this week but we have some folks who are excited to bookmark it on their time now
0: absolutely absolutely now it, it's again a hot ticket item we're looking at scheduling it from one to four on october 28th okay Re- reason i chose that date was i'm like when is lisa long available? <laughs> So I chose that date, and she is available at least for an hour during that time. So we'll have, uh, as, aside from the uh, that agenda item, we're, we'll be looking and talking about uh, those individuals. That are CDC or early releases the end of this program. We have Telecare Corp. that will be participating regarding that and uh, uh, be able to provide more information on that. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll also have uh, outcomes, FSB outcomes participating as well. Um, for uh, As well. So, Again, we will send out the save the date, um, as well as a copy of the draft agenda. And uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I don't want to put UCLA on the spot, but I'm hoping that UCLA will be able to host it for us on October 28th. And I think the next question's a a billing issue for AOT. Mm -hmm.
1: So I think the rest um, might be able to be facilitated as part of the training, Monique. What
2: are your thoughts? Yeah. It looks like
1: it. Right. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Alex, for your time. And um, I guess everyone will be eagerly awaiting the Save the Date for October 28th from 1 to 4.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. We're looking forward to it. And again, if there's any immediate questions or concerns, feel free to email um, myself directly, or uh, so, though I'm sure all of you are aware of our. Uh, DMH adult FSP email inbox. So you feel free to email any questions related to that. And, uh, and many, any of our staff will be able to answer those questions.
1: Okay, wonderful,
2: okay. thank you so much for your- Sure,
0: sure. have a great day.
2: Me too. So good morning, Um, these are the questions that you guys had answered on day two, at the end of day two, so we just wanted to go over them, make sure everyone knew what the correct answer was and answer any questions as it may pertain to these questions. Um, So the first one was during a 5346 D3, where a client is court ordered to be evaluated in a hospital for no more than 72 hours, the client can be ordered to take medication, true or false. Um, We had a split decision, 19 said true, 19 said false, um, and the answer was false, um, as an individual, um, the 72 hours, the, sorry, the 5346 order was kind of the same as the 5150, so only if the treating doctor feels that the client, there's an emergent, there is an a urgent, uh, sorry, an emergency reason to treat the individual with medication, then they could prescribe the medication. Um, and if the 51 to 5150 takes over, then the normal route in which somebody would get medication under a 5150 would, would come into play. So um, only if there's an emergent reason to prescribe medication during the 72 hours in which the person is in the hospital, can they prescribe the meds. Um, if the court terminates the AOT jurisdiction, can the client remain in AOT FSP services? Yes or no? 30% said yes, which is the correa- correct answer. Clients, um, once a petition is terminate, clients can remain on a voluntary level in AOT. Uh, a client is eligible for disenrollment for all of the following reasons, except um, conservatorship established in residential treatment for the next 180 days and unable to locate? This question was a little confusing. I think we, le- we left out a piece really. Um, technically all three reasons is correct. Um, the exception is that no provider can request the termination of an individual for any reason without first getting the approval of the AOT committee. Um, so, anytime you want to disenroll a client because you believe one of one of the several reasons is on a disenrollment form um, has been met, you will need to first ask the AOT committee if it's appropriate to close out that case. And with the unable to locate, which is what the answer had originally been. Um, before you are able to do and unable to locate, you need to show that over the last month, you guys have outreach on a weekly basis to try to locate the client. And that is with, with a physical physically going out to wherever the client's last known locations have been. Um, so that was a trick question that was, no one is at fault for that one. That was our kind of mistake with it. Uh, the next question is the client self report survey is completed by the client at three month intervals. If your survey is late, do you still complete the next survey at the scheduled time, or do you just adjust your three-month intervals to reflect the last date of completion? 34 percent, thirty-four individuals um, indicated complete the next survey at the original scheduled time, which is the correct answer. You just want to continue with the same interval you've been. Don't adjust at all. Um, and the last question is, MRT, the MRT, which is the monthly reporting too, is to be filled out monthly even if the client has been missing for services for the entire month, true or false? Everyone who answered this answered uh, true, which is correct. Um, So the next thing I wanted to kind of do is just go over some clarification from our day two training. Um, I had some emails and then some things came up that made me think to take a step back and um, reclarify these following areas. And so I'll answer the billing questions here as well. Um, So I talked about on day two about private insured clients, how AOT has... ALT has to accept the referrals for any client who meets criteria, even if they have private insurance. And we have a process that's not fully identified at this time still, as we're still working with upper management in the department to figure out the best solution to how to work with private insured clients. Um, So what I wanted to clarify was, um, as I indicated last week, you're not able to decline a referral when you identify that the client has straight Private insurance. You do need to take that referral and work on an outreach level and try to get and try to work on getting authorization for FSP services for those individuals. Um, During that phase that you're trying to work on authorization, the client is on an outreach. So I know when I say you do the handoff, you should be enrolling. this, This would be an exception. Those clients will remain on the outreach in the outreach phase while you try to work on um, obtaining authorization. So you are not to enroll them. You're not going to provide them a service um, free of cost. Uh, kind of is what the question was that was made last week. Um, so the clients will remain in outreach, um, and you try to work on it. So there is an exception to even that, which would. Um, sorry. So when you request for the authorization from a private insurance company, we, you know, if you have a financial department, they should work on calling up the insurance, explaining what FSP services are, what you're trying to provide the client, and see if you can obtain authorization for those services. Um, they may ask you to fill out some forms, or that the client has to fill out some forms. You know, then I guess that could go back to. Maybe the team that's work, the clinical team that's working with the client to assist the client on doing that, or assist the client getting on the phone with the private insurance. Um, those are some of the things that we come come up with when we try to work through this process to try to get an authorization. If the client, if the insurance company declines, we we do want you guys to try to get it in writing. But if you cannot get it in writing, and you only get it verbally over the phone make sure you're documenting it in the client's financial record the day you call who you spoke to and what did they communicate um when you get a, de- a denial or say you just can't get an answer you're being bounced around from different people in that insurance company then you bring it back to to me as the aot FSP coordinator and then i can take it up to management so we haven't Necessarily come across a solution as it relates to private insurance. We were just meeting about maybe three weeks ago um, with county council and other upper management members to figure out the way we can handle private insurance because, um, as mentioned, if a county has an AOT program, they have to take anybody who meets the criteria of AOT. Um, so, when you bring it back to me, you're not giving me the referral back. But you're bringing it back to me to let me know where you where you guys got to and then we can figure out what the next we'll go up to upper management and figure out what the next step is so the referral will still remain with you in that outreach phase and, and then we'll provide a direction depending on, on what we get from number management um now a client who has private insurance plus medi-cal you know there is the um, old revenue management division bulletin which is listed here that tells you what to do when there's no share of costs. So if there's no share of costs, they have Medi-Cal and they have private insurance, there's a way to go around, um, there's a way to go around a private insurance and and to to bill it to Medi-Cal when they're denying you a a payment. So that is an option and that will lead to possible enrollment of the client when they have a private insurance in, in that manner. But when it's straight private insurance, you're gonna keep the client in the outreach phase. While you work on that authorization. Um, so hopefully that clears it up for some people who might have had any confusion and, and thought that they had to enroll these people um, and provide a, provide a service at free of cost. Um, in regards to the AOT measures, the question was asked, and I believe it was asked again, um, if you can bill for the measures that we discussed last Tuesday. Um, so billing for the The entirety of the measures themselves would be no, but if you can integrate it into a clinical intervention with the client, then you can bill for some of the time you're doing. So talking to some of our providers, you know, they've created some questionnaires where they pull and talk to the clients about progress and what's been going on. And so they don't bill for the entirety of doing all the measures, but they get some billing out of some of the completion of the measures because they integrate it into a clinical intervention. And then um, regarding disenrollment, um, so we utilize the same uh, form that regular FSP uses. So all the different criteria on there are the same for us, as I mentioned, except for the target population, we actually really don't use that under AOT. But what I wanted to mention that I didn't before um, is the one related to um, residential conservatorship, so, AOT um, actually does not accept or keep any individual in the AOT program who becomes conserved. Um, they already or they already have an order as it relates to mental health, so we don't keep them in the AOT programs. So, if a client does become conserved while they're enrolled with you under AOT, the client would be, should be, a request to disenroll the individual should be made. Um, now, if they're going to be out in the community, um, because maybe family is a conservator and, and they're going to return home um, while they're under conservatorship, then before you actually disenroll, you're going to want to work on trying to get them to the next program so they can stay in mental health treatment. It just would not be under AOT. Um, and then the other one I had that related to disenrollments. Um, don't know if everybody knows what it what this is, but um, missed. We, we refer to it as Miss. historically, it's uh, misdemeanor and incompetence to stand trial. AOT historically used to work um, very closely with the MIST program, the DMH kind of had going on. Um, but I wanna say maybe over the last year and a half, maybe two years, there is an actual contract with a provider to um, take on these, these cases that are identified as Miss. So AOT kind of stopped working. With miss, um, so if a client does become miss and they are in jail at the time they um, are declared incompetent, incompetent for for a misdemeanor or even uh, for a felony, which is called fist, um, we close those cases out as well. You may get a referral from us for somebody who is currently um, considered incompetent and trial, but that is because the client. Um, in the community at the time that they were declared incompetent. And while the individuals who were assigned to them were trying to work with them, uh, identify that the client just won't participate in services. So they will make a referral over to us. We have nothing to do with that portion of their treatment, um, but we take it on if we deem it's appropriate. But if they're in jail, and they are declared incompetent for felonies or misdemeanors, um, we also close those referrals out as um, the jail linkage and the courts have different programs they can utilize for those, for those individuals. So I just wanted some clarification for anyone who might have encountered those programs in the past.
3: There's a couple of questions. Can I interrupt you a second? Yes. So um, someone is asking, you know, you were talking about being able to Combine the tools that with the some clinical time to be able to claim. They're asking if they can do that with OMAS As well.
2: I wouldn't actually I wouldn't be the one to be able to answer that question. Um, that would probably be more for um, The OMAS team to answer.
3: Okay, and then there's another one um, and I would think this is the same as for any outreach client they're outreaching to but it says how does a provider bill for AOT? My concern is our cl- clinicians that have service expectation hours and during outreach efforts, these clients seem to be unreachable or difficult to reach. How would the clinicians meet their billing during these outreach efforts? I would think it's the same for as any client they're outreaching to.
2: Correct. I mean, um, while they're in the outreach phase, you guys are able to bill COS. Um, but again, if if you drive out and the client's not there um, you're not able to bill. And that is correct. Um, it's just, it's part of the program. I, I mean, it's the same expectation I would take as regular FSP. If you were to go out and the client's not there, it, it is a lost billing. Um, unless you're able to somehow turn it into a collateral with somebody in that location.
4: I have um, one more question. I was privately chatting with someone about the difference between a directly operated clinic. Um, which is directly operated by DMH, as opposed to contract clinics, which are operated by um, another entity such as Pacific Clinics. Mm -hmm. So like Pacific Clinics would be operating the FSP team. But um, there's a clarifying question that I didn't know how to answer. Um, And this person was under the assumption that FSP didn't exist in SPA one, because every time one of their FSP client chooses to move out there we have been told they can't because there's not FSP there what clinics are out in spa one that have an FSP team
2: um there's a few but I know that um, there's mental health of america tarzana treatment center and I believe there is one more and I can't think of the name off my head okay so
4: is it all it's all contracts Yeah, there is no directly operated
2: in service area one, but there are, I believe, three uh, legal entities.
3: Is it Penny Lane?
2: I really can't think of it off my head.
3: I think it might be Penny Lane, but I'm not quite sure either.
2: Okay, that maybe was the confusion
4: that there's just no directly operated, but there are contract clinics that operate FSP teams out there. Yes. Um, And another question from Karen Wu is, is there a time limit a client can be in outreach and engagement? And do they receive the full array of services, or is it limited since they don't have a treatment
2: plan? So for us, again, um, as it relates to an ALT case, we don't want them to be in outreach and engagement. When you do the handoff, we do expect you guys to be ready to enroll them. Now, if by chance something goes astray, maybe you schedule the intake for a few days later after that handoff and client doesn't show up. So now, you know, you didn't get the intake done. Um, We want you to get the intake done as soon as you can. So we're not expecting you guys to continue on with an outreach phase. It it should really be straight to an enrollment um, unless it becomes an issue about trying to locate them.
3: Or Um, private insurance. Or the private insurance. I think that's why they're, the that's why it became an issue because we're saying keep them in outreach while you try and get authorization. I think that was the confusion.
2: Um, and so with the private insurance, again, um, if you are told no, if they're declining you guys, then bring it back. So there really is no time limit once you get that deni- a verbal denial or, or a written denial, bring it back and then we figure out the next step. Um, if you're getting the runaround I would say like if you made five or six calls and it's been two or three weeks within those calls and no one's calling you back or you're just getting a runaround, then bring it back. And then we'll figure out what the next step is. Don't hold it for, you know, more than a month or so trying to make calls to that insurance company. Um, if if it's been two, three weeks and you know, six or so, five or six or so calls to them, then bring it back to us. Um, and then we'll figure out the next step. And then that, that will help you see like how much longer you might need to work with that specific referral or what we're asking for the next step to be. Um, the next step may involve more DMH trying to get something out of the private, um, out of the insurance company of response or an answer. So um, I can't give you a definite of how long, but it's more of just what your guys' efforts have been to try to get that before you bring it back to us. And then if it's just in regards to regularly, like because the client didn't show up for the next appointment and now you're trying to locate them, um, we do a 30-day window. If you've done outreach to them for 30 days, gone out looking for them every week um, or fo- and phone calls after 30 days, if you have not been able to locate them, then you can bring it back to request for a cancellation of that referral.
4: Okay. Um, and then somebody else asks: is AOT required to have a crisis line?
2: Um, yes. Yeah. So just like regular FSP, how you have to have an after hours line, so is AOT. Okay. And
4: then can we please get contact or direct line to intake coordinator?
2: Yes. That would be at the very end. You guys will have a slide up that has um, mine, Linda's, and the two supervisor's information. Okay.
4: Um, one more. With AOT clients, medication is not mandated. Are we expected to treat them differently than our ODR FSP clients who are mandated to take medication? It sounds like her ODR clients are yeah, mandated to
0: take
3: because med. Her ODR clients are probably missed or some fist, and those are court-ordered to take medication. So the judge will order these, our clients to take medication. However, there's no, if they refuse, there is no involuntary medication. So they're ordered in the sense that the judge says it. And if they respect the judge and what we call the black robe effect, then they do take the medicine. But we have no way of giving anyone medication involuntarily, nor is that a part of AOT. So As long as they're willing to take the medication in their AOT, then then they would be treated the same as any ODR client. They just can't be forced to take medication if they refuse.
2: Also, with court order clients, one of the expectations as it relates to um, an evaluation by a psychiatrist or nurse practitioner is that when they are court ordered, we would like for the providers to do all they can to try to get an evaluation done. Um, So We know that it's the client's choice, but we would like for you guys to set it up no matter what, and then try to work with the client to get to that appointment. Um, The client can say no to the meds, but what the court teams will like to see is if a doctor or nurse practitioner is actually recommending that medication is appropriate to try to assist the individual stabilize um, or decrease symptoms. So um, with court-ordered AOT clients, we do have more of an expectation that providers, um, no matter what, will try to schedule an appointment for an assessment for the AOT clients. Where on a voluntary level. It really is more of a, we would like that still, but it is really on to the client if if they're willing to take it or not. Appointment-wise, sorry.
4: Um, The last thing is uh, someone's just asking for the contact info for the FSP programs in SPA 1. So the contact info for the Mental Health America, or Keisha let us know that the um, other indirect um, contract clinic was called Personal Involvement Center has an FSP in SPA 1. So if anyone has their um, contact info, you can post it in the chat.
2: Yeah, I don't off-hand my off hand have that, but if anyone else might. Um, I know that the adult navigator for FSP is Angela Komen, um, and the K is Salmon Redding. Okay. Uh, so if you have the navigators list, the most recent one that's um, up has both of those individuals, and, and there's the navigators as it relates to controlling of those FSP slots.
4: Okay, I think you got all the questions thus far, Monique. All
2: right. Um, So on to our day three material. So our objectives for today is to explain the petition, six-month recommendation for termination and extensions, explain the declaration writing, demonstrate the ability to draft declarations for petition extensions, explain testifying in AOT court, explain progress report writing, and demonstrate ability to draft progress report. Actually, I corrected. We're not gonna demonstrate the ability to draft declarations today, um, but you guys will see them and we'll go over what needs to be in them. So progress report writing is where we're gonna get started. This is our template that we utilize for all clients who are court ordered and in which a progress report is needed. Um, they need to be, the progress reports need to be completed for every uh, AOT client who is court-ordered, whether it was a client whose petition was sustained or if they signed a voluntary settlement agreement. It needs to be completed every time the client is scheduled for a progress hearing, which can range from every, every other week or maybe every once a month. Um, we always have to have the person in at least within... Uh, 60-day window so they can't go longer than 60 days without a progress hearing. Um, but just depending on how the client is doing, um, what is kind of going on with the client will show, will depend on how frequent they're coming into court. The progress reports are due um, every on Wednesday by noon the week of their court hearing. So um, the expectation is that the providers are writing it the week the client has court uh, we don't want any reports earlier than that. So when they're due by Wednesday at noon to me, the AOTFSP coordinator, through email. Um, they need to be submitted with the most up-to-date information. So we don't want the, the reports to be history. So from if the client was in court um, September 3rd and they're back in on 10-2, we want whatever happened during that window. That's all the report should be identifying is what happened during that window from the last hearing to this current hearing. And then, if during the time between the client's progress hearings, if the client is hospitalized, incarcerated, um, the AWAR or the MA from their placements, um, if um, trying to think if there's something else significant. Um, if, if, so, if any of those happen, a communication to me should be made as it as it's happening. So, once you deal with the situation, then email me, letting me know the person's hospitalized at, you know, Harbor UCLA as of t- this morning, um, or the client was incarcerated, you know, last night, uh, and is at whichever jail that you know that they're at. Um, we're asking for information that. Um, We're asking that you provide this information as it occurs for those type of situations. So that way, anyone that can get involved can, so maybe public defender can get involved and go talk to, um, the public defender who's going to be assigned to the criminal case. Now, um, if the client's in the hospital, maybe we want to see if, um, we can get the hospital assist with getting the client to court that Friday, or maybe this is a case that you guys are thinking really needs to be conserved. And if the client has court, um, we can maybe ask an admin in order for the hospital to evaluate for LPS. We're not telling them they have to do LPS. We're just asking if they can do an evaluation. Sometimes it's a nice little push. Sometimes it doesn't lead to anywhere. Um, so we want to know these type of events as they happen so that way we can um, inform whoever we need to. If it's PD, the whole court team, bring it to court to ask for something. Um, if the client is... a uh, not compliant with treatment that takes a little bit longer to to identify that they're not really fully being compliant. But as soon as that starts to happen, the client doesn't have a hearing coming up. We want you to communicate that as well. You know, client hasn't complied. Maybe can we bring them in earlier? Um, Because their next hearing is in three or four weeks. So that's also another one that you want to report. It just, it does take you guys a few weeks to kind of say, okay, for sure, the client's not fully compliant anymore. Um, In regards to this template, which you guys will all receive, um, it needs to be completely filled out. So case number right now, as we're in 2020, our case numbers start with 20HWMH, and then there's five numbers that follow. Um, This is identified on the minute orders and the petition of the grant, the minute order that I did. um, that grants the petition. So you guys will receive those documents and if you don't know what it is, you can always reach out to me and I'll, I'll get it for you. Petition granted date um, will always be the, um, the peti- you will find on the petition when in which it was granted, but again, if you don't know, you can ask and then petition termination date is also listed on the minute order that is granting the petition. Um, it's 180 days. But as I mentioned earlier, the 180 days is set by the court so that it's not exactly 180 days. It can sometimes be a few days shy as AOT only has court on Fridays, So the dates are always set or typically always set on a Friday unless we somehow mess up the calendar. (laughs) Um, The next information is the treating agency. So we want you to provide the name of the agency, their enrollment date with you guys, the clinician, case manager, psychiatrist, nurse practitioner's name, and then a clinician's number. Um, This provides the court to know who the treatment team is and the phone number for the clinician just in case the clinician is not there and there is questions. um, They can maybe give them a call and see if they can get some answers while court might be happening. The next is current placement. Um, So This section, you can actually check off electronically. So you don't um, need to do any. It's easy for you guys. Just check it off. and then provide the address of where the client is currently staying. So that may change over time for some clients or or remain permitted all throughout the six months. Um, The next portion just kind of tells you what we're looking for. And so um, you're letting us know who the client is and what their progress is since the last progress hearing. And so we're identifying um, how many scheduled therapy sessions they've had and how many out of those they have attended. Um, if they missed any appointments, why did they miss the appointments? When's their next appointment scheduled for? And then include any information, details about compliance or lack of compliance with the therapeutic services. Um, the next portion is about case management. When did they attend any appointments as it related to case management? Um, and what is their compliance with it? And, and what are you guys working on as it relates to case management during that window? Uh, then it's about... Um, medication support, so um, when did the client last meet with their psychiatrist or nurse practitioner, um, what was prescribed to them, the names and the dosage, uh, when they're next scheduled to see them, and then again, any com- what is the compliance, lack and compliance as it relates to medication support. Um, The next section will be to provide any information about the client's progress towards treatment goals, changes in their behavior and symptoms since the last hearing, if they've had any contact with law enforcement, arrest, crisis response, hospitalizations, um, if they may have gotten an eviction notification or any placement changes. So you'll provide more detail about kind of what's been going on with them. Um, And then the last section, Section would be uh, provide any other information you want the court team and the judge to be aware of. If you would like the judge to praise or address any particular concerns, you would provide it in that section. Um, So if you want the client to be praised at their next court date, you would write it in here on what you want them to be praised about. If you have concerns and you might want the client to be admonished, um, you could put it in here. We've also, um, I don't know if we've done it lately, but we have in the past where sometimes we've admonished like family members Um, Because they're um, getting in the way of services and they come to court and they're part of the court process. So our judges in the past have also done that at times. Um, And then in this section, if there's any information you want the court to be aware of that hasn't been identified anywhere else, or maybe it has, but you want it to be, you don't want it to be addressed, in the courtroom in front of the client you just want the teams to be what the court team to be aware of it or you want it to be addressed in, in a sensitive matter because it, how it might um how the client might react or you don't want them to say how they are aware of it like who like if say mom told you guys something you don't want the judge to say well mom said this um because of how the client might react to mom um in this section uh, you can identify that like, to please be mindful to keep mom's name out or, you know, we just want you guys to know about it, but please don't address it with the client. So if there's anything like that, make sure you make the court team aware of it. So they're mindful of what's being discussed or how they're discussing it in the courtroom um, or with the client. There are things that we might discuss outside of the courtroom as we prep for court that we don't bring up during the actual hearing because we don't want these things on record. Um, So we are mindful of what's being said as uh, the actual court hearings are happening so that some things don't go on record, but yet the the court team itself knows about what's happening with the individual. So this is a sample that was recently written. Um, I just wanted to read it to you guys. You guys could kind of see, get a feel of what the providers are providing. It is missing some of the information we're requesting for, as this is a newer template for our providers and are getting used to it. Um, so again, it has all the client's information in regards to the case number. That, that is a made-up number. Um, and then, you know, the grant, the day was granted, the day was terminated, who the providers are. Clients out of sober living. Um, help is on the way, which is one that you guys might all know of. So this is the report's contact um, content. The progress report is to update all parties with respect to Jane Doe's progress with mental health services since her last hearing on nine four twenty. Jane Doe was scheduled for individual therapy as of therapy on nine uh, and 9:15:20, 20 in which she attended two of the two appointments. Her next scheduled appointment is 9:23:20. 20 There are no concerns with engagement and participation since last court hearing. Jane Doe was also scheduled for case management appointments on 9-11, 9-15, and 9-16, and she attended all appointments. Jane has experienced some ambivalence toward following through with tasks to access case management and needs in the areas of SSI and housing. However, according to the to support counselor, this week, Jane has been more receptive and engaged in case management services. Jane met with her assigned psychiatrist on 9-2 and was provided a prescription of Zoloft 25 milligrams. She is next scheduled to see the psychiatrist on 10-7. Jane reported being interested in working with her community psychiatrist through West through through Wellesley Health Center and reported a scheduled appointment on 9-13. However, during our session on 9-16, she reported that she has decided to continue her psychiatric services at Starview Community Services with Dr. Boyd. Uh, Jane made progress towards her treatment objectives and was noticeably calmer and approachable, stating her family visited her during Labor Day. Jane experienced difficulties managing stressors and reflecting on past experience being triggered when discussed housing history and previous evictions. She continues to display a pattern of verbal aggression and displacement of blame onto previous housing staff for her current situation and presents with limited accountability for behaviors, which presents current barriers for treatment progress. Jane made progress by working with support counselor, case manager to address issues related to housing and her CES assessment. She expressed interest in activity and actively participate in following up with SSI application and has been more cooperative in accessing community services with the treatment team. Jane was more cooperative with treatment team and participating in treatment sessions since last court hearing. Jane experiences difficulties managing stressors and triggers evidenced by verbal verbal aggression and displacement of blame for her behavior. Jane continues to visit Skid Row and minimizes the impact of current health crisis COVID-19, reporting thoughts that it's a hoax and declining to utilize safety measures to mitigate risk to herself, staff, and community. It will be helpful for Jane to continue to meet with Starview Psychiatry for, medica- for medication updates and support to monitor psychiatric services. And then it's signed and dated by the um, the writer, which should be a, cl- a, a clinical team member um, so this is kind of, you know, the type of information we're looking for. We just don't want yes or no's or, you know, saying that this is the client's diagnose, They came in for sessions. The core team, it is a collaborative core, and so the core team does want information about how the client is progressing, what is going on, and, and are they or are they not attending all the appointments that they should be getting under FSP. So we are going to do a a case study and a breakout session, and I will let um, the UCLA ladies join in on this portion. Oh, actually, first, are there any questions um, before you guys do a breakout session as it pertains to the progress report? Yeah, we just have one
5: question about uh, Karen asking if Medi-Cal billing lockouts exist.
2: They do. And
5: if there's a transfer process for AOT clients who move out of our service area?
2: Um, There is as well. um, As I had indicated, I don't know, day one or day two, um, how uh, SRTS workflows are going to work will need to be revamped as the AOT program had its own uh, six different SRT workflows. But now that um, all the FSPs are going to be integrated together, I'm sure all workflows are going to be revamped so that there's just um, one general one as it pertains to the different level of needs like enrollment, transfers and disenrollment. So that will be all information that's going to come to later down the line. But definitely if a client does leave the service area, then a provider can transfer the case to another provider that's going to do AOT in that next service area.
3: And what I have said for now, what I answered for now, for right now is that if they moved into another service area, they would contact you. You would find the provider in the next serv- AOT provider in the next service area, and then they could do the SRTS.
2: Yeah, as it pertains to our regular AOT program, that is correct. It, it all goes through me. Um, with the twelve refer- the 11 referrals we just dealt with are um, a little different. So we haven't yet fully figured out the SRTS. Um, so before these referrals go out to you guys on an AOT level, um, we'll have these things figured out and you guys will be informed about it. Um, So something that I'm working out, I need to work out with the uh, FSP administration. So they're gonna give you guys a case study and you guys are expected to kind of put together a progress report based off of the case study and then you can add any additional info if you feel like there's missing gaps and you need some more stuff to write on a progress report.
1: Yes, perfect. Thank you, Monique and uh, Jean for that. So um, in chat, before we beam you all to different breakout rooms, um, we've put just a quick instruction as well as a link to the case study just so that you guys will have access to it in your separate groups. Um, So really, um, to what Monique was saying, we we provided a a case study. You'll have about 15 minutes to kind of read through um, this case. And then you'll notice that on that case template and that link, if you were to go to it, there'll be kind of um, instructions, on right? Because your breakout rooms will be numbered like one through eight or one through 10. So depending on your number, go ahead and select the template to use based on your breakout room number. Um, And then that way, when you guys start typing in your responses, um, we'll be able to, when we come back to the larger group, Monique can then select um, a couple groups to kind of review the, the note, the progress report that you guys wrote together and, and have a larger group discussion. Um, I think maybe what we could do next, Monique, just in the interest of time is maybe we could pick maybe just two or three groups or have volunteers just share their screen you know if someone raises their hand or volunteers i can make you a co-host so you can share your screen and um, maybe you guys can can talk a bit about your process questions that came up and then monique can provide some feedback
4: yeah um, i'm looking
1: good. at Jean because i know it sounds like Jean, you and stephanie uh, F got a little bit um, down on paper. Would you and Stephanie mind sharing that with us to get us started and maybe we'll have another group volunteer after your demonstration
5: of bravery and <laughs> putting your work in progress on the screen.
4: Um, we
5: didn't focus on the dates so much because there were some dates but we were like we'll know how to input dates. for, <laughs> for- <laughs> <laughs> um, So we more so focused on This part is about his case management information. Um, So we wrote that Arnold intermittently meets with staff in the community, missed three out of four appointments with case management, but remains hesitant to provide the necessary information to accomplish case management goals. Staff continues to focus on outreach and engagement as a way to work towards obtaining this pertinent information, i.e. social security
2: number. Is, is that a tight enough summary? That is. And then um, when you were asking your question about, like, can the courts do anything, what I would recommend if, if you guys are feel like you're spinning your wheels as it relates to Social Security, then at the third section where it says, you know, anything you want the court to know,
0: mm-hmm.
2: in that section you can ask, like, can the court assist, um, if it's admonishing him to try to get him to give up the number, or if it's more, is there a way for the court to assist with trying to get... A hold of his social security number um that's where you could maybe put that request in and that last paragraph you could tie the two together you know what's happening and then what you're trying to do for him okay so you
5: can ask like a question in the progress you know, it doesn't have to be a
2: yeah yeah that last section could kind of be praise concerns or even you know if you're trying to there's something you're trying to work on and together having some issues with that you need the court. maybe you you think the court might be able to assist you could put it down there
5: okay and then our next thing up here was that arnold consistently meets with his assigned nurse practitioner on a monthly basis and was provided with multiple prescriptions just because we don't have the names i know for the we'll have the names they were real client put them all in there um And then we wrote Arnold requires ongoing medication management as he takes medication in front of staff, but was found with a bag of medication and does not appear knowledgeable regarding when to take his medication without direct staff support. Mm -hmm. That's good. Okay, so our final recommendation and summary. (laughs) Although Arnold was temporarily placed in a crisis shelter, he began to struggle with proper hygiene practices, urinating in bottles around his bed. He left the shelter and was hospitalized shortly after being found unresponsive in a local park. We put his hospitalization dates for five days for ongoing deterioration of congestive heart failure. He tested positive for meth, cocaine, and marijuana at the time of his hospitalization. It is the team's recommendation that the client be placed on an injectable medication for his mental health due to ongoing medication management concerns. Client is consistent with meeting with nurse practitioner and clinician and would benefit from further treatment under AOT. Can the court assist with speaking to the client to discuss his social security number with staff to accomplish his goals further?
2: That is great. That's a really good paragraph because you're kind of saying what you guys want to be done as it relates to injectable. Um, so you're just letting the team know, um, you know, that that would really be your be- guys' best recommendation for him. So that is really good how you guys put that all in.
1: Um, I don't know if Monique, you, how do you feel about having your your group, the group that you were sitting in on share, or you can kind of talk us through the process of, you know, things that you notice, things that you, um, you know, you felt were like, watch out or yes, this is what to highlight. Um,
2: um I think, I think they kind of got it. One of the questions that they did inquire about was, um, I guess normally when some individuals have written uh, reports for court, sorry. Um, trying to not like incriminate individual, the client, not making the client sound bad. So, um, I did clarify, you know, we want to be very open about what's happening for the clients, what's going on, as it's a collaborative court, um, things that are said in the courtroom, you know, we're not trying to lead to anything on a criminal matter. So providing the information that's happening um, is really important, and and you should share. So saying that the client's not cooperating or the client has not been showing up to appointments, that's perfectly fine. Or even saying that the client did something. So like how this guy passed out, tested positive, had all those meds, that, that's perfectly fine for saying that. Um, but what I did clarify with them, if you really think that something has happened that could definitely criminalize the individual um, for a matter that maybe hasn't been addressed yet, like they weren't arrested, there isn't pending court dates anyways, um, then just bring it to me and I will take it to our county council member for, for to further discuss and so I shared recently a picture of one of our clients popped up on our internet, um, which could have led to some, can still actually lead to some criminal matters. Um, unfortunately, we don't believe the client is really doing what the picture says, but we are, our only communication at this moment is with our county counsel. We haven't even brought this forward to the public defender or the, the judge. Um, we're trying to make sure that she doesn't get incriminated in any way. So if there's something big um, that you think that could create an issue, don't put it anywhere, uh, and don't you don't need to communicate with the public defender or anyone at this moment. You could bring it to me, and I we can take it. I'll take it to Linda, and we'll take it to County Council for any advice he can give us um, prior to it being let out, if it's going to be let out to anybody else. Um, I think that's kind of the big thing. I mean, if you guys have questions or you want to ask for the court to do something, then you go ahead and put it in there. Or if you guys really have strong recommendations on on a clinical level, what needs to be done, um, you know that they, they can't order the client to take meds, but you can share what those recommendations are that you think needs to be done so the client can start stabilizing or making progress. So you can share that in these progress reports as well. It's not fully addressed in the template, but it's definitely available to you, um, trying to think. Anything we have mm-hmm. one que-
5: question about how confidentiality and ROIs are handled in
2: relation. Um, so per the statute, we're able to share the information with the court as it relates to any client who's court ordered. Um, it, it, the statute itself sh- shares about sharing of records. Um, me and Linda go back and forth on this. So um, Linda, do you want to give your input instead?
3: So the, so the statute states that we can um, share the documents with um, the public defender and our county council. And I've talked to Ginger Fong, who is our privacy officer for DMH. And she said that we can share things in department, in mental health court, because it's continuity of care. So um, the confidentiality issues are weighed with continuity of care. And now because of the way that the court is, we do need to submit the mental health records, but they don't, we submit them as an exhibit. So we mark them DMH exhibit one, we have them on the table in front of us during court. It's a, submitted into evidence, but they don't keep those records. And, no, and, and as soon as that hearing is over, the records are handed back. So if you're doing the hearing, if it's the provider doing the hearing, we hand the records right back to you. So the packet is submitted as evidence, but it's not kept, it's not part of the court record. It just shows that the records are there to try and over to override the hearsay rule.
2: So our next topic is related to pe- petition extension. I talked slightly about it, but I did not go into full detail. Um, So again, just to kind of review some stuff that relates to the petitions, which are our court orders, um, is that we have petitions that were granted via VSA or Petition Sustained. So the VSA is a voluntary settlement agreement, which the client agrees and signs a document that they're going to participate as a court ordered individual and gets filed with the court. And then Petition Sustained is for clients in which they contested the petition and we um, had to have a hearing in which the judge made a ruling. Um, So, there's two types of petitioned individuals, but they hold the same legal standing. Um, So, a petition is not to exceed 180 days. Um, If it has been determined that the condition of the client requires further AOT, the provider can submit a declaration to the court prior to the expiration of the period of the initial AOT order for an for an order authorizing continued AOT for a period not to exceed another 180 days from the date of the order. This is basically what we referred to as our pe- petition extension. So before the original petition is up, we will complete the petition process again, filing a de- declaration and, and having another hearing so that we can extend for another 180 days. Um, and so we refer to this as a petition extension, an extension declaration in regards to the document or writing. Um, there is no limit um, as long as the criteria remain. So, uh, I want to say we have maybe two years, Linda. I think that we've had somebody petition. Um, so that's obviously for extent. That's four different hearings we've had. Um, in which a declaration was written. Uh, but there is no limit, so I assume we can go past as long as the actual AOT criteria, which were the nine I read, uh, slides 11 through 13, are still met each time we are re petitioning the individual. I um, explain what the petition extension is. Uh, and so Request to extend court jurisdiction is based on a clinical team's recommendation. So the team, who the, the agency who's currently involved in working with them on treatment, it's your guys' recommendation to the court, um, whether or not the client should be extended. Now, sometimes the court team or even DMH has some input that we would like for you guys to consider, and we, we go back and forth on a conversation. But ultimately, it is your decision on what you guys think is, is best for um, as it relates to extending an individual or not. Um, The provider would need to complete documentation for filing with court and possibly testifying in court if they are gonna extend. Um, The six month court termination date again is court appointed and it will always be on a Friday. So um, it is 100 days out, but it might be short a few, might be short um, on the 180 days as the court appoints it and it's only on Friday, it's always gonna be on a Friday. And we know this date from the moment the petition is granted. Um, so when you're approaching the six-month termination date, um, at five months, I reach out to the agency um, through email asking for your recommendation, letting you know the client is going to terminate on you know X, y, X day. And what are you guys um, wanting to do with the client's petition? Would you want to extend it, or do you want to allow it to terminate as, as it's scheduled? Um, Providers are requested to provide a response in a timely manner, so preparation can um, begin if a declaration is needed to extend. Providers requesting extension are asked to update the last existing declaration, which is um, like diagnose, symptoms, hospitalization, incarceration, or deterioration. Um, You can technically start that declaration from scratch, but as of as of now, all providers have used the last one that was written for that client, um, just provides they don't have, you know, just less work for them. And so two weeks prior to the court termination, two weeks prior to the court termination date, the extension declarations are due. This allows us enough time to get everything filed in time for that termination date. So in regards to planning for what your recommendation is. There's basically three options that you can choose. And um, I'm going to share what those three options are and then what what you should be considering for each option while you're making your decision. And it's not technically limited to this, but these are things you should consider. Um, so the first is requesting for the court's jurisdiction to be extended for another six months. Um, if the client has had hospitalizations over the last six months, police contact due to their mental illness, threats, or acts of violence to suffer others. They're, they are deteriorating. They have no insight into their mental health, and it's believed that the client will discontinue all mental health services upon the court termination. If any of these kind of exist, um, especially the, the lack of insight deterioration will stop treatment, you definitely should be asking for an extension. If it might just be hospitalization or police contact, you would want to consider You know, when did that happen. Was that during the first and second month of the petition and he, the clients have been good since, or was it during like four or five months? Then, you, you know, if it's been more recent, closer to the termination date, you're gonna probably want, you wanna extend these people. You don't wanna let the court jurisdiction stop. Um, the second option would be requesting for the court to terminate jurisdiction and the client mm-hmm. remains an AOT FSP as a voluntary client. Um, so there's been no deterioration over the last six months Um, So that would include like no hospitalizations, no police contact. Um, But the reason why you would want to keep them in AOT on a voluntary level, instead of dropping them down to the next level of care would be that there's some type of justifiable reason that the, that is believed that the client should remain in AOT services. Um, So these, I can kind of think of like uh, maybe the client just started school or they're about, you guys are helping them move somewhere and the housing hasn't fully taken place or they haven't been there long enough. They just, started their medication or, or they, you guys are still kind of trying to explore the meds, well, instead of um, shifting them off to another provider, you guys would want to keep them and they should just stay in AOT, but they don't need to be under that court jurisdiction because they are doing well. They've been making progress. You just want to monitor those transitions that are happening for them. Um, those are just some examples, but there, there, there's more that you can consider. The third reason would be a request for the court to terminate jurisdiction and the client to step down in level of care. So you would want actually all these things to be in place. No deterioration, no hospitalization, no police contact or arrest, no threats to solve for others. Um, client is and has been working on meeting some, if not all their treatment goals, and they are willing to step down in services. This one's, um, that last one's a little bit more iffy. We have terminated petitions for clients who are saying no we're done you know we're not gonna continue on but the but when they say that the client has met all the rest of them they, they've been good for the last six months or maybe they've been good for the past year under the jurisdiction and you know there's there's been no hospitalization no deterioration they, they might have a job you know they're doing really well but they're just saying we don't want to continue and and typically with those the clients aren't even on meds anymore they probably stopped their meds at some point um, so they are functioning, they're functioning pretty well that we will terminate even though we know that services aren't going to happen. But for the most part, um, we want to do the termination of a petition based off of all, all the ones I just read and that they're willing to continue on with their care. So these are the three things you would, these are the three recommendations you would make for the court and, and what you would consider in making those recommendations. So the extension declaration. If you determine that you want to continue to have the client under the court jurisdiction, the provider needs to now. Once you inform me through email, um, which should be at at a minimum three weeks prior to the termination date, um, because that will only give you one week to write up the declaration. So um, you want to give yourself enough time to write up the declaration. So. You get the email a month before termination date, based on how, however you guys work. You know, just make sure you allow yourself enough time if that's the decision you're making. Um, the provider is to identify uh, the provider is to identify an Afian for the extension declaration. So you need to identify somebody who is going to work on this entire process, which includes writing the declaration and potentially testifying in court. Um, they need to be a licensed mental health provider. So nobody who has waivered, um, they do need to already hold their license. Um, they have met and evaluated the client at some point, and they understand and know the client's case, and they are able and willing to testify in court if it is needed. And you you never know until the day of court typically if if, if it's going to be needed or not. Um, the AFN updates the written declaration. So again. Um, as of this point, all of our providers historically have just updated the original one or the last one that was written, which would be written by them as well, um, then starting from scratch. So, you submit a finalized version of a declaration to the LTFSB coordinator, which is me, I review, um, ask you for any, let you know if there's any corrections that might be needed or any detail that might be missing. Um, so, I'll review first, it send it back to you with that you send over your final version signed and then i will submit it um to county council and public defender um the fine your finalized version does need to be submitted to me two weeks prior to the termination date that has been set by the court of the current petition this allows again for um ample time for us to do everything so what will happen is um Once I get it, I send it over to county council and the public defender. The county council writes it up as the actual declaration. Um, It returns back to our unit. We take it up to um, Dr. Sharon or Dr. Bonds for them to review it and if they agree with it, they sign it. We send it back to county council who then goes and takes it to court for filing and then it gets a court date the court date is always the same date as the termination date. Um, They need to line up together. So that's why we need that two window, that two week window to make sure all this is done. And right now with COVID and people teleworking, um, it's extended how much longer the process really takes. Um, So after we get it off, um, after you're working on the declaration, the decision has been made, Um, One of the other things that the provider, the affiant needs to do is uh, submit several documents. So one week prior to the termination date, um, the provider, sorry, the week, it really is the week of termination, uh, no later than a Wednesday, I would say the provider is going to need to submit all their clinical notes um, to county council, to the public defender, and I would say CC me, I I ask that they are not sent to me because, again, with um, like records and releasing, I don't want to be responsible for releasing records of a provider, but I want to make sure that the county council and the public defender did receive them and, and were ready to go for the court hearing. So I asked you CC me so I could just make sure everything we need is in place for that court hearing. Um, again, they need to be able to review the records because the records are going to kind of be your proof to what you're writing in the declaration that these things happen. So um, the provider will need to submit all the records uh, electronically to County Council and Public Defender the week, no later than that Wednesday in which the client has court for the termination and for their hearing, their new hearing. Um, Also the affian will need to email um, if you have a CV or your resume to County Council. And again, no later than that Wednesday. Um, County counsel will need to identify you in court as an expert witness, and so he is going to utilize your CV or your resume to do that. Um, So then on the court date, uh, the affian and the client will need to appear in court for the hearing. Um, The affian is to bring a hard copy of all the clinical documentation that you provided to County Counsel and Public Defender through email. Um, this is right now as COVID is going on, I don't know if once life kind of returns to normal, if we do go back to normal, um, we might not need you to bring a hard copy. Um, before the time being, we are asking that all providers bring a hard copy of their records that they gave them. Um, if So you bring your records to court. They'll be provided to, um, to the judge as an exhibit, as Linda was saying a few minutes ago. Um sorry, I'm going to just take a step back. So you come to court with the client, hopefully, um, and you have your records in hand ready to provide it to, to the courtroom. There are three things that could that can, there's four things that can happen. Um, client sends a VSA, which is great. You don't have to testify. you don't even have to submit the records to the courtroom. We file that VSA and the client is now, petition, is now extend, the petition is now extended for another 180 days. The second possible option is that um, client is present, client is contesting the, de- the, the extension declaration, and we have to have a hearing. You will need to testify, and the judge will make a ruling on the new information as it pertains to trying to extend them for w- another 180 days that's where you will need to provide the the hard copy of your records um, that you brought into court to the court. They will, um, County Council will present it as an as as an exhibit and um, truthfully, nobody really reviews them in that moment. They're just presented as an exhibit, but County Council and Public Defender already had an opportunity to review them when you had sent them through the email. And once court is all done with, that hard copy is returned to you. Um, And I know county council um, for sure, I I believe public defender as well, they, after that hearing, they do uh, shred the records that you provided through email. They get rid of them. So nobody has any records to what you have already, what you just provided them. The third option um, is if the client is not present, the current petition that had a termination date for that Friday does terminate. We are not able to extend or continue um, those current petitions just because the client is not there. So it will automatically terminate. Now, um, two things can happen following that. Um, One is that we have the hearing in absentee of the client. So you will testify to the information on on your declaration. The judge makes a ruling without the client being present. Um, And this is because you have examined the individual. And so when you have examined the individual, we can have a hearing without the client present as long as the client was properly served. Um, And again, we're properly serving them through um, a process server. Now. What we also can do, because maybe the public defender um, may object for some reason. Um, So if if maybe for some reason the public defender objects to us having an absentee, then the new AOT hearing that we're trying to have for an extension can be continued to the following week or maybe in two weeks to come back and try to get the client back into court. So there's two options in case the client does not show. But the bottom line on if the client does not show is that the current petition, that it should expire that day, will expire. So technically, if we continue the hearing because of maybe the public defender objecting for some reason, the client is no longer under jurisdiction for however long that continuation might be. Um, So if we continue for one week, technically for one week, client has no court jurisdiction. but it, but um, but there is a pending hearing, so it'll kind of be like when it was when the client first came in to the court system. Okay, um, so this is about the declaration writing. I'll ask questions when we wrap this part up about that whole process. Um, so declaration writing. Some important notes again, as I mentioned a little earlier, it, the writer needs to be a licensed mental health provider. Individuals who are a waiver cannot complete this document. Um, It needs to also with, oh, actually, I'll say that in a second. Um, You need to have met the client have assessed the client at some point and understand the client's case. You need to be available to attend court on the date in which the current petition terminates. You need to be willing to testify in court at the client's extension hearing if the client contests the petition. Some important notes is that the writer has the choice to utilize the original declaration that was written and just up update some information, and provide new info. Or you can start from scratch if you would like. And I can give you the the regular template of how to start from scratch. Um, It is critical that the declaration is submitted two weeks prior to the court termination date to allow for all signatures and review and filing of the declaration in time to have a scheduled court hearing um, as it relates to the extension hearing. Um, The extension hearing is a set date um, yeah, the extension hearing is a set date that cannot be changed. Um, the writer needs to be available, and you already know what date that is. That's the date in which the petition terminates. Um, and and although I said we can continue it if the client doesn't show because public defender objected, we still need to always shoot for that date and and have everybody ready because we don't want there to be a crack in time in which the client does not no longer has court jurisdiction. We want to make sure. Um, one ends and the other one starts on the same day, so there's no lapse. Um, And then, again, you need to submit the declaration uh, two weeks prior, which I just said. Sorry. So um, the next, I believe, four slides are going to show you what the declaration looks like. Um, The normal template without all the extra info is about four pages. Um, So... So there's 13 areas in which we target. Some of it is general information that just needs to appear on the declaration. Where other sections are information in which you need to update. So the blue areas that the areas that are highlighted in blue are what needs to be in these areas. You need to make sure that um, the the wording is specific to to the these areas of the declaration. At this time, it may change. um, Well, the only one that will change is like who the county council members are. We've had some changes here and there, Um, but these are our current people. The purple highlights are the areas that you're gonna need to update and make sure you swap out names or information um, to what's currently going on and and who the writer is. So I'll start with the top, um, which is Edward Morrissey and Craig Kirkwood. You wanna make sure that your declaration has those two individuals' names on them. Um, I double check, before I send it out to you guys, and I do a double check when I get it back from you guys to make sure, but also I ask that you guys check as well. Um, You're going to have the client's name where it says in the matter of. uh, You're going to have the case number. Because it's an extension, you already know what the case number is. You've been working with the client for six months with the petition, so you have the case number. You're going to update. If you're using the original, you're not starting from scratch, you're going to update the name of the affian. So it's going to always have one of our DMH employees names there. You'll put in your name if you're the writer. The date should be left blank. Um, and then on the first line, that kind of starts, up, starts off the declaration, you're gonna put your name again with your license. Then paragraph one, uh, section one and two remain exactly the same. Section three, you wanna put in your, agency, your agency's legal operational name. Uh, and then number four, this number four has two options, but if it, if you're doing an extension, really what you're seeing right there that says no more than 10 days prior to submission of the petition, I personally examine the candidate and herein state that the facts and reasons why I believe the candidate meets the criteria for assisted outpatient per welfare institution code 5346A. That should be there. Um You guys as a provider has at a minimum had this client for five to six months enrolled in your program, maybe longer. This client has been examined and somebody has, you know, seen this client in the last 10 days. So that should be there. The the other option is indicating that the client has not been examined, um, which again, if the client's enrolled and and getting treated, that shouldn't be an option to, to place there. If by chance it is, um, speak to me before you, you write out number four. Then you want to make sure that the header has the, the Appian's name and license. Uh, for some reason, are things a little messed up, so you got to make sure uh, page one and page two changes for you, and then everything else will change. Typically, the second page, um, you'll find the diagnose that we utilize when we petition the client the first time. You want to make sure that's updated to whatever diagnose you guys have for, your, for the individual. Um, and then also in section five, you want to update the client's symptoms and any behaviors you can take. If you're using the original declaration, you can take out anything that doesn't apply. Maybe you never saw those symptoms that are listed there while he, while the client was working with you, you can leave them if they're still existent, but then you want to add anything else that has been happening symptom wise, um, that you guys have witnessed Section So section five is just, identifying that the client does have a mental illness um, and then providing the symptoms that reflect that mental illness um, sorry the I, I didn't say the declaration um, is targeting the criteria for AOT so each section with the exception to the last few of them are targeting each criteria we have so that an individual can be in AOT so section 5 is targeting that the client has a a recorded mental health illness. And so you're presenting what some of the symptoms are to identify that mental health diagnose. Um, Section six, you're gonna add, um, and then again, you can remove anything as it relates to any safety concerns to to that section. This is more kind of related to the client's functioning. Section seven, you, is about the, hot, the criteria. So the hospitalization, the threats, uh, the forensic mental health. Before you get your hands on it, I always updated and removed any hospitalizations that are now outside of our 36-month win, um, window or the 48-month window as it relates to threats. I remove any dates that don't are not um, fitting that category anymore. What you'll need to do is go in and add any new dates um, that have happened since the client um, has been in your guys's care. Well, no, since the last one that's reported on here, actually, I would say. So you guys will need to review um, the client's service history to see if there was any more hospitalizations or forensic mental health um, since that original declaration was written. Uh, section eight. Um, this is about the treatment plan being offered and and the outreach kind of to the client. So, um. Uh, this is also a section I update for you guys before I hand it off to you, but then you need to go in and provide more information. So um, the highlighted section outside of the parentheses, um, outside of the brackets needs to be there. And that's what the blue box for number eight indicates. Um, it should say the candidate was mandate- mandated into treatment on such date and assigned for treatment with such agency. Since being mandated into treatment, the candidate has been on a, if it's a weekly base, bi weekly um, identify which one for mental health treatment consisting of identify whatever type of services you guys are providing them, and then meeting with the psychiatrist, whatever the schedule might be, um, if they're meeting with the psychiatrist. If they're not, then indicate that, you know, there's no, no um, clients not working with the psychiatrist. So you want to, after you put that, after you update that specific, um, Few sentences. You want to also add any more information as it relates to the services the client might be getting um, that helps kind of make a case. Them um, helps make a case. Section nine. Um, th- what you want to add there is anything related to clients' compliance with treatment and their, and their functioning. Um, you especially want to add in this section if the client is stating they're going to stop all treatment once the court order is done with Um, or if there's an indication of it you know based off of history based off of your interactions with them there's the belief that they're going to stop because of maybe things they've said in the past or or what they're doing um, that indicates that they're going to stop all treatment Um, you want to put that into the section for number nine number 10 remains the same number 11 um, we just add the word extended in front of assisted outpatient. Again, I try to catch this before I give it to you, but in case it's not, just make sure it's in there. And then number 12 is the same thing. We add extended before the assisted outpatient. Um, You date it and you you, uh, sign it and, and print your name with your license. So with extending individuals, I gave you the three... Recommendations, which one is to extend them and why you would choose extending, which is, you know, if there's been hospitalizations, deterioration, police contact, threats, um, lack of insight, not willing to continue with treatment. For some clients, especially w- when we're going to do their first extension, they're doing wow. Well. They're doing pretty good. They're following um, the program, which I don't like using that phrase, but they're, they're going to appointments, they're taking their meds. Um, there's progress. Um, Maybe they lack insight or they don't, um, but there's some progress and they're they're doing well. We can still extend these clients as long as all the criteria is there. So long as hospitalizations are still within the 36 months or threats were still within the 48 months, we can still um, extend them. We can still request to extend them although they're lacking the current deterioration. And how we get over the lacking of the current deterioration is that if it was not for the program, the client would not be doing well. And so that's kind of where number nine comes in, in indicating that you know if it wasn't for the program, they, the clients wouldn't be doing well. Um, and if the, the client wasn't court ordered, the client's going to stop all treatment and go right back to where they were five, six months ago. Um, so we have that ability, we, we make county counsel aware of, you know, client is doing well, there's not a lot of deterioration, but it's because, you know, they're court ordered. And so we, we make sure when we come to court, we know how to present the case in that manner. And we have the facts and some of the facts might be client told you, I, I'm stopping the day. I'm not court ordered. That's it. I'm not going to see you again. I'm not going to take meds again. Or there's more that indication that that might be the case. Um, so we have the ability to extend based off of that fact even when the client is doing well. When that gets a little tricky is when if we have the client petition for about a year and a half, two years now, and, and they've been doing well for about a year, that's where we might not be able to, to, to use that phrase anymore. and We really need to consider what the best option is. But especially for the first petition, we can use that language. Okay, yeah. So testifying in court, if you're the Afghan and now you need to testify in court to the declar- your declaration, you're testifying to what you wrote in the declaration. Um, we, you're gonna have communication with County Council prior to your hearing. If you have questions, you have concerns, you can communicate that with County Council and he'll walk you through answer and, and help you out to know, you know what to expect. Um, you are able to take notes up um, while you're testifying you can reference um, that you want to check your notes, and, and they will allow it, but you are able to have notes. You can definitely have the declaration up there with you so you know what you wrote on it. Um, and you can look at it to, to reference the material. Um, and then, as I mentioned, you're testifying to what is written on the declaration. Let me see. Basically, the county council is going to just run through the criteria. Does the client have a diagnose? Was the client hospitalized or was there a threat? Um, Is the client deteriorating? Um, One of the things that the County Council does to override the hearsay ruling that the public defender has has, um, objected to um, lately is to ask what is your opinion? So in a review of the records and the interaction or your examination with the client, what is your opinion? Is your opinion the client has a mental illness and, and what, what opinion and your opinion on what the diagnosis is? Um, county council can. Um, my understand. Sorry, my understanding is that an objection cannot be made to your opinion. You're the expert witness, and it's your opinion, so um, an objection cannot occur. Um, and and he walks you right through it. So you, what you want to do when you're testifying is just answer the questions. Answer as he's asking him and. He's basically just gonna go down the criteria list and make sure he targets every every one of them to make sure that the court is aware the client meets criteria for AOT. Um, if he needs to pull a little bit more from you, he'll ask the questions. But again, he's gonna lead you into he's gonna lead you into your answers. Now, a public defender um, again might object to anything that you might say um, someone else told you because um, she's gonna try to call hearsay. Um, so again, you want to answer her questions just exactly to what she is asking. Don't provide more information than you need. Um, just straight, um, just provide a straight answer to the question that she's asking. And if we get into any run-in, our county council always kind of knows how to help us and pull us out, you know, when he comes back and asks his questions again. Um, usually with the testimony um, even if the county even if the public defender objects or or tries to pull anything i feel like um, historically whatever question she has asked us it doesn't hurt our case a lot of times it might even help our case because it it presents more on the client or or even gets the client to talk and and then the court gets to hear the client speak and and how the client is thinking Um, we have lost a few cases and the public defender um, has created some barriers, but um, for the most part, we've won every most of our cases that we have um, brought in front of the courtroom. Um, and a lot of times, what she's saying, I feel like, doesn't fully hurt us. It sometimes um, makes more of a case for us in what she's asking us because it presents uh, a different picture sometimes. Um, so, that's actually all of my material. And I, um, are there a lot of questions so far or is it pretty quiet? Trying to see what to do next.
5: Linda's been answering a lot of them. Thank you, Linda. But there is kind of a general question from Michael of if you don't have any licensed clinicians,
2: what do you do? Um, So my hope is that maybe there's a supervisor who is licensed. Um, but I do know that some legal entities, um, supervisors are not technically licensed. If there is an issue, then bring it to us and we'll figure out a solution. Um, for a lot of these cases, because I know, I think on day two, some people inquired about like, well, the therapeutic relationship and how does testifying affect it? Um, what a good number of the agencies who currently have our contract does is that it's a supervisor who does this, who writes the uh, who writes the declaration and testifies, so that the relationship with the client on a th- with the therapist isn't isn't damaged. Some of the therapists are the ones who write it and do testify, and and they work around it and they make it work. Um, I I probably say maybe a handful of cases we can think of where we ended up damaging the relationship, um, but I would say probably a handful has been like that. Usually, there's no issue after but a good number of providers will usually utilize supervisors instead in this place um, to to do the writing and to do the testifying. Um, But if by chance there is nobody licensed that can do this, um, then just bring it back to us to discuss and we'll figure out a plan, which usually the plan means um, we'll step in. Um, There's also been some cases, um, well, we've had one case where everybody in that, because it was a con- it's a contract provider, so everyone in that team, including the sam- the supervisor who, who led the FSP program, um, interacted with the client. Like they were all engaged. They always dealt with that client, and so it was really felt that if the agency itself wrote it, there would there would be a lot of issues that the relationship. So we took that one too. You know, we handled it, but it was a discussion to figure out what was the best solution. And, and when we identified that we we were potentially putting a lot of risk if we let anyone from that agency write it. Um, DMH staff stepped up and did it instead. Um, so if there is issues like that, there's a discussion and there's a solution. Um, it just needs to be brought to our attention in a timely manner so our team can set up the steps because they're gonna have to go out there, they're gonna have to meet with the client, try to examine the client and then write the declaration where you guys, you know, just offhand have been dealing with the case for six months and know the case better than we do.
3: So um, someone else is asking if the clinical supervisor is the one testifying um, for their supervisee, wouldn't, the hearsay, wouldn't that be hearsay in court?
2: Well, that, it, Go ahead. Well, so again, we want to make sure that that, that supervisor knows the client, has actually met the client, um, so that there is interaction with each other. Um, now, the hearsay is going to come in as if we need to uh, testify to anything related to threats if the client has just been hospitalized, there will be no hearsay because as long as we have a record that the client was hospitalized, which should be in a service exhibit, I mean, the service history, then then there would be no hearsay because it's part of a record. Um, And we don't go into detail about when did it happen and why were they hospitalized. We're just asking, were they hospitalized? So do they have the two hospitalizations in the 36 months? Um, What may become an issue is if there's any new threats that for some reason we're going to present on, um, then we may run into the hearsay and, and we'll, it's something that we got to talk and figure out. Um, but again, with the, I feel like with the extensions, um, we haven't had a lot of issues with them. It kind of seemed to be to go a little bit easier than when we're trying to petition the clients the first time. And it's because everybody already knows the case. Um, I don't, I don't think, um, the public defender objects as much. She she will definitely object if there is a hearsay. But usually we can get. I feel like we can get around it um, on extensions because there's already other information that the whole courtroom knows of. Um, so the first question is: uh, pet- Petition extensions are given in 108 increments. True or false? Which is true. Um, the writer of the declaration has to be a licensed mental health clinician. Uh, B, have assessed the client and understands the case. C, available to attend court on the date which the current petition terminates. D, willing to testify in court if client contests petition. E, all of the above or F, only a licensed mental health clinician. So this one is all of the above. All these things need to be in play in order um, if somebody is going to write the declaration. In a declaration, it is important to include information regarding current treatment compliance and functioning of the client if the client wants to stop treatment. True or false. Sorry, I've got to read that one again. Uh, in a declaration. That one is also true. Um, you do want to include that information as you're writing the declaration. The next one is a declaration must be submitted. How many weeks prior to the current petition termination date to ensure time for processing and filing? Um, so this one is, again, two weeks. Um, I would like for you not to submit a declaration under two weeks. We want to kind of hit the two-week spot so that we could get everything filed and make sure a court date is the same day of the termination date. And then true or false, the extension hearing can be changed if needed. Um, and they, this one is false, because again, um, we need to have it the day that the case is terminating. Now, if the public defender objects for some reason, um, the extension hearing can be continued, but the initial one needs to be scheduled on the date of the termination. Um, While we wait to see if anyone has a question. So this is the contact info. Again, AOT is run by Countywide Engagement Division, Um, the program is Assisted Outpatient Treatment, AOTLA. Linda Boyd is our program manager. She has oversight over um, our outreach and engagement teams. Um, And then again, right now, the way we currently operate, she assists with the, the oversight of our legal entities who are providing the services under FSP. Um, my name is Monique Padilla. I'm, the men- I'm a mental health clinician and the AOT um, coordinator. Uh, I use, we use the name AOT FSP coordinator because we technically have an ERS coordinator, but even on the ERS level, I will be the in-between for you guys and working with our ERS coordinator um, who's under ICD now, which used to be CRM. Um, Malik Tate is a supervisor who oversees our Lumita office. Again, that's service area five through eight. And then Stacey Atkins is our other supervisor who oversees our Little Tokyo office, which is one through four. So those are um, Malik and Stacey. Those are their sows and then their emails. And then mine is my desk number and email. And I believe, Linda, that's your desk number too.
3: Right, but it is connected to my um, cell phone as I telework a lot now with COVID.
2: The same for me. So at the moment, if you try to reach me, um, that'll go straight to my work cell. So it'll always get picked up. Thank you guys for joining. And if you do have questions um, as time goes on, feel free to reach out to me, uh, email or phone.